Hello, everybody. Before this episode begins, I would like to say that this episode will be a change of pace, slowing things down with a very interesting man. That's why I'm speaking this way in a very soothing NPR voice, rather than my regular Bucks County, South Philadelphia, New York-influenced white trash regular voice. So that being said, before we take our deep dive into this week's episode and what it is, I would like to reach out to the listeners in the year 2100. Hello, future people. We're about five episodes into this nice little series. So, to the people of 2100, could you please do me just one favor and find out how I died? Seriously, pause this episode, and if I died successful, it should be pretty easy to look up, and if it's hard, go on a scavenger hunt and reveal my death to the public. I think it might add a little emotion to the rest of the series, so just go ahead and look up how I died. And I know you can't tell me, and I know this is weird, because um, normally, and when you're watching a television show, Seinfeld doesn't try to remind you of his inevitable death in the show. But I want the people of the future to pause right here. Look up how I died. Come back to the episode, and then we'll get through it. Was it bad? Did, did, <laughs> what if it's horrible? I hope it makes sense. Does my death, is it justified? What if it's horrible? Oh, no. Can of worms, man. Can of worms. I just think it's an interesting idea because I'm so young and full of life. But in 2100, I will be the opposite of that. However, back to our uh, regularly scheduled programming. This episode is all about Steve Schmeeler. Many of you are probably asking, who? Well, you're about to learn who. I spoke to Steve in an attempt to understand a man who created an icon. I wanted to speak to someone that created something that will absolutely last until 2100. And that is exactly who Steve Schmeeler is. See, creation is the ultimate form of expression. But which creations are ultimately worth mention? Thinking about it, Everything at one point had to be created, created by a person, likely by the person who made it. Of all the creations, which one is your favorite? Is it something I'd know? Something we'd all call famous? The car, the phone, the ones that we've known, a finger of foam, a new type of loan. There's no telling how far your creation will go. To create is to be vulnerable, honest and true, following your mind and doing what you want to do. Me? I created this poem about creation because I talked to a man who resides halfway around the nation, and you'll hear the conversation. Steve is his name. He's earnest and honest, open and modest, and he invented something that we've all seen, I promise. A farm kid from Iowa, living the dream. One day in Otumwa, he wants to root for his team. He's clapped, he's shouted, he's stood and he's screamed, but he wants to go all out to support the home team. For after this year of high school, his childhood is done, him and the rest of the class of 1971. Steve is a builder, not a boozer, in a time before computers, and he starts doing because at his heart he's a doer. That day, Steve made history. He made a symbol and an icon that would live on for generations around spilled beers and fight songs. You find greatness in strange places if you'd ever believe. The pride of Southeast Iowa 
May I present to the world, Steve. Hello, Steve. Hi. This is Jason um, for the interview. Sure. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Steve? Could you pronounce your last name for me again so I don't mess it up? Schmeler. C-H like Chicago, long E. So Schmeler, not Schmeller. That is correct. I will go on to uh, mispronounce his name multiple times throughout the interview, and for that I apologize. Do you want me to give you the overview of why I pretty much am reaching out to you? Well, um... Please, go ahead and uh, go over it, please. Okay, all right. Well, this recording and, like, this phone call, right now I I have a recorder listening to both of us, and uh, pretty much the premise of the show is we talk about a topic, and then we talk about the future of that topic, and in order to talk about the future of that topic, we also have to talk about the past and present of the topic, and I have a lot of uh, episodes that are about pets, and that uh, we talk to different people about that, professors, uh, comedians. We're having all. I have all sorts of people on the show. I'm a producer based out of the Philadelphia area, and um, something that really caught my eye was uh, I wanted to make an episode about the foam finger. Okay. And uh, you seem like the perfect place to start. But the our show is kind of more of a, my show is kind of more of a narrative structure um, that basically we want to talk about the humanity behind the history and really get context. So I thought it would be perfect to reach out to you, not just to talk to you about the one day where you made that finger or the several days where you made that finger, but also who you are and kind of get to know you. And that's basically it. Well, that's great. I look forward to the chance to visit with you about those things. Okay, that is awesome. Um, So first question. I'm going to mention that, uh, or start out that, um, I'm, I was born in 1953, so it makes me 65 in October. That was my first so question. Just to give you an idea generationally, uh, about where I am. And, um, uh, that was a, a time quite different than today, of course. And, and, uh, through grade school and junior high and high school, uh, I just, Fortunately, fit in very well with uh, the, the community I was in, and uh, and had a, a great time, and had lots of good opportunities, and and uh, it was a wonderful time in my life, and it'd be something I'd wish for any kid. Um, but today's a whole different world, and 
know, it'd be nice for um, kids to have something similar to what I had, but um, it, it, I don't think it's just a different time. Well, talk to me about that. What do you mean it's a different time? Like, uh, what would take me to where you were born? Where exactly were you born? In Washington, Iowa, which is about 52 miles from where I currently live. Uh, the uh, community, well, my my grandfather owned a farm, and and his uh, three sons at that time in the in the 50s uh, helped on that farm. He had approximately a thousand acres of ground, so I mean he, he was a pretty good sized farmer. And um, so we, I grew up uh, in, a, in a farm, a rural setting, and um, slightly different than living in town. But uh, it, uh, my grandpa had a seven to nine acre lake, I believe, or a pond, and then. And it uh, was a place we could go fishing and catch bullhead and bluegill and things like that. It was also a very large lake, like it was. Uh, they actually had a, a beach and a, a wow. swim house, and people. It was a public swimming place for quite a long time until swimming pools became more prevalent in communities. And uh, so, just a lot of fun times like that. Well, take me through a day growing up in Washington, Iowa, in the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties. What what was the average? What did the average weekend day? We'll call it a Saturday morning. What what did that consist of? <laughs> oh, I I had uh, two brothers, uh, two years one two years younger, one four years younger. So I was the oldest of three boys, and uh, they were. Dad had a, a small shop uh, where he tinkered and did things, and <laughs> I, I enjoyed the tinkering part of things. I seemed to think outside the box and would make things that, um, you know, with scraps that he had laying around and, and build and do that. And uh, my grandpa, this, this little farm acreage we lived on, my grandpa had... Uh, uh, purchased a couple of buildings that were airport buildings. That's all I remember them as. But inside, there were memorabilia from uh, training. They were uh, training components from World War II. Uh, wow. There was a propeller. There was a, a wooden propeller up on the wall, and and lots of things that we. So we we did a lot of make believe and fun uh, activities like that. So Saturday Saturday night was the go to town night. Uh, we we would uh, get all our chores done and uh, and go in and perhaps eat at a, a diner in town off the square and and then uh, visit a hardware store and kind of pick out a few things to buy and take home. A little pocket knife. Every, I remember mm-hmm. having a little pocket knife and played with. So, yeah, that's... How far was the uh, town from Washington? Well, our, our farm was probably... Uh, five or six miles west of downtown. So we uh, would head out Highway 1 and uh, get out to the, uh, again, a remnant of World War II. There was a uh, the military had put on the corner where we would turn off of the highway to go down to uh, to our farm uh, farmhouse, uh, uh, an antenna that wasn't extremely tall, but it was a, a rotating parabolic type antenna that would scour the, the skies for uh, 
you know, an aircraft, I guess. So it was. Uh, you mentioned a lot of. Mark. You mentioned a lot of World War II things in Iowa. That does that that kind of being someone who knows very little about Iowa, but considers themselves to be knowledgeable about World War II. Why do you think there was so many World War II like things near and around where you grew up? Well, I, actually, here in our community uh, where I live now, Ottumwa, Iowa, uh, there was a naval air station built out at the airport, and I don't know how many thousands of men were trained there, but um, they had one of the largest indoor pools in in the world, if, if I recall. That was one of the you know the, the taglines put on it. But uh, uh, they they trained here. President Nixon actually was one of the celebrities of of, of sorts that uh, trained here and lived in town wow. for several years. But um, actually dotted in in maybe 20 30 mile radius around the naval air station there were i think three or four other uh airport landing areas where they would do different uh, maneuvers and things so uh, i i think it's just part of the preparedness and being ready in case the, the war front uh, happened to move stateside instead of uh you know, remain in other shores. How, how, was that uh, a main concern during your childhood? Uh, like with the threat of another war or it was, well, was the effect fact, of World War Two heavy on your parents? Uh, my dad had polio when he was growing up, so he was never um, considered as uh, qualified for the military. Uh, I had one uncle that, um, was a, a Marine and, and did uh, did serve. And um, well, she had a couple of uncles that were Marines and served. And then uh, uh, another uncle that um, unfortunately had a, a leg amputation on the farm. He got his pant leg in a power takeoff and it uh, twisted his leg off below the knee. And, you know, but to, to get back to your question about the war, I, I wasn't worried about it. The, uh, the, one thing that comes to mind is uh, there were little aluminum um, foil things that they dropped from planes, and they were used that to, to test the, the antenna, and uh, somehow signals would go out and get bounced and reflected off these little foil things, and I would mm -hmm. see them in the roadway wow. that we had, uh, that we walked home. <laughs> That's I crazy. Used, what year do you think that was? That would have been... Probably 57, 58. Wow. As late as 57, 58. So, so yeah, so that's several years after the war. That, 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 I, someone who didn't grow up in that time recognizes, is, is interested in hearing something like that because years after the war ended, they were still, at least the government was worried about it and, mm -hmm. and that was noticeable in Iowa. Okay, so take me to the high school years. What was uh, high school like for you, Steve? What what were the high school days like? So in comparison to my high school experience, I guarantee yours was very, very different. Yep. Talk me through, well, a, through things, a few things and then lead me up to that basketball game. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was not a basketball player. I was a football player. So I had uh, enjoyed being in sports. Uh, 
What position? How does a defensive tackle? Okay, that's a fun position. Although, um, by today's standards, um, I, I think I weighed in at 185 pounds or something <laughs> like that. You know, today's defensive tackles are, you know... 100 pounds bigger than that. <laughs> yes. And the, the thing that the buddy next to me, uh, Mike Carroll, uh, he actually became a first-team All-State mm-hmm. nose guard, so he, he played the defensive nose man position and uh he and i really enjoyed <laughs> playing playing the positions uh in the defense we he was also not a big guy but we were both fairly quick we would do a you know forearm blow to the guy across from us and then <laughs> spin back you know spin around and get into the backfield and uh, it was just those those were good times uh, the um the high school we had our class of 1971 uh, was one of the largest. Uh, we were, we had a. Uh, there used to be a Catholic school uh, in town, and it closed. So that merged with our high school. She so had one high school. Our our community back in the '60s, up until when John Morrell, which was headquartered here in the Tumwa, Iowa, uh, once upon a time, uh, when it closed in 1973, uh, it was a drastic blow to the community. But our our, our uh, population was in the 40,000-ish range, and, you know, then it, it's dropped now 25,000 or so. It's wow. uh, gotten a lot smaller, but at, at that time, it was a fairly booming community. We have for two businesses that uh, were in town that were our anchor businesses, uh, John Deere, Atoma Works, and then uh, John Morrell and Company. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's, there still are some of the families of... Uh, residing in our community that are from the Morrell family. The with with the high school of a high school graduating class of nearly seven hundred kids, uh, I I had a lot of friends and uh, uh, seemed to get along with most people and uh, Can I ask a question out of curiosity? Sure. And uh, I don't I don't know if this is out of bounds. But okay, so you were in high school in the nineteen seventies. High school would have been Late, late 60s. 70, 70, no, excuse me, 68, 69, 69, 70, and 70, 71. Okay. Uh, I just want to ask a question because I grew up recently, I would say. I was uh, high school. Yeah. I was in high school. I graduated high school in 2013. And in, in, in a very different setting, in, in a setting that, uh, that is the suburban Philadelphia area. I currently live in Philadelphia. And uh, I, I just want to get a sense of high school life. And I, I just want to ask this, and I don't know, I, I don't want to be out of ter- term here, but did was alcohol a part of your high school experience? For me personally, no, it wasn't. Um, although I certainly had plenty of friends that uh, would get their Boone's Farm strawberry wine or whatever <laughs> and uh, enjoy, enjoy that. Um, I I guess part of my upbringing, um, I I just never never did that, and today, to this date, I I'm not I don't really like beer and uh, that's perfectly like fine drinker and things like that. But uh, for me, it wasn't, and uh, I uh, no, I just so was mine, thinking because I wanted mine, to. And I never I don't shun people that. <laughs> I want to consume beer or, you know, <laughs> alcohol, but uh, 
uh, it just for me was not not a deal. Nah, you seem like a perfectly straightforward guy, and I was just kind of asking because for me, uh, alcohol was a part of high school, but mm-hmm. I grew up in a very different place. I did not grow up in Iowa in the late '60s. I grew up in Philadelphia in the late 2010s. <laughs> I, I guess mm-hmm. I would call it the early 2010s. And I, I just wanted to bounce that off you. What time would you get up to go to school, and how far was your house from school? I was 10 years old. We moved from Washington, Iowa, to Ottumwa. Okay. My dad had ruptured several discs in his back uh, working on the farm, and doctors said you can't stay in that in the farm profession and suggested he find another line of work. And um, he is a people guy, and, and he actually got a job uh, working with farmers by selling a local feed, uh, agricultural feed, uh, 4x4, or Walnut Grove 4x4 feed, and uh, and we moved to Ottumwa. He had Wapolo County, which is where Ottumwa is centered. Uh, Wapolo County was his territory, and and um, we made the, made the town, or made the switch to Ottumwa, lived in town for just a couple of years, and then had an acreage out in the in the country so i i basically rode a country bus or to uh to school it would, it would come by at you know six thirty or quarter till seven and we get on the bus and make it rest the rounds and get into school and and then uh, ride the bus home as a, a younger i started school great uh, kindergarten in in washington iowa uh when i was not yet five, so it seemed that I was always young. I didn't have my license when other people did, and and um, so I was always riding with mom and dad. You know, getting getting to and from places with them. So, um, in fact, one of the first dates I had with a gal that I ended up marrying, and they're still married today, uh, forty-five years later. Wow. Uh, uh, we, my mom took us to a pizza hut in town and we, that was the first date out i guess after you went on a first date. on the first date with your wife for 45 years at a pizza hut that your mom dropped you off at yes <laughs> that is the sweetest thing i've ever heard let's get to uh the date let's get to uh that basketball game talk me through what that basketball game was and why you did what you did well the when we Found out that um, her, our team was doing well. The Otumwa the basketball team? What's that? The Otumwa basketball team? It's Otumwa. Otumwa. Okay. And uh, uh, so we, when it was state tournament time, we qualified and and uh, you go through a series of playoff games to get to the state tournament game. And uh, so I think there were uh, at least two games that we had done a fairly good job and won substantially. Uh, it was near one of those earlier games. I think I took the, the, the foam finger to three games, two, two uh, qualifying games, and then to the, the final game. So uh, just uh, it's one thing that I was, was a, a, a very team-oriented and, and spirit-oriented guy, um, in fact, I'm going to go back just a bit. Uh, earlier in our senior year, um, I came up with this concept of a uh, welcome to a tumble sign 
that um, that I myself and another buddy uh, we painted this four by eight sheet of plywood. Uh, it would be positioned where the, the uh, visitor teams would come in and see that, and uh, so. Again, I, I had the good fortune of having a good uh, senior advisor, the, the, the teacher that was head of our class of 71, uh, was very encouraging and, and somehow found the, the uh, means of permitting me to do things that um, were, were spirit-oriented and, and for the good of the community. I, I made, a, made that sign. Um, I also uh, designed high school seal that um, was eventually used for um, uh, stationary and, and prominent things and I could you know send you a copy of that sometime if you want me to uh, absolutely and a couple things like that I'd be glad to do that and so uh, just another the, the, the foam finger concept was you know what what can we do everybody puts their hand up in the air you know we're number one. I just took it to another level and made this gargantuan hand and, uh, you know, had it white. Our, our school colors are uh, red and white, so uh, just played off of that and and um, had the idea of taking some hardware cloth. If you're familiar with what that is, it's a, it's a wire mesh like screen wire, but the wires are about uh, half inch apart. That's the grid of the wires and you would use uh, tin snips and pliers and and fashioned this oversized hand and then um, got newspaper and, and uh, flour and water and and made paper mache and wrapped it. So that's the foam finger originally was not a foam finger. It was uh, an oversized hardware cloth and paper mache hand that I painted white and then outlined with red for the fingernails and the knuckles and things like that. Steve, can I tell you what blows my mind about your story if for some somehow throughout all of time and and history from the romans to early man homo sapiens monkeys evolution whatever you believe in through all of the time and history of humanity on this world you steve are the first person to ever create a giant hand. Does that ever blow your mind? It, um, it, it's probably never hit me in, in, in the way that... I mean, I, I'm very proud to have done it, but um, to set it in a, you know, on a pedestal like that, I guess, no, it's never hit me in that exact way. Uh, I After our team had had lost that final game actually there was a we were the biggest uh division in the state and there were there were other smaller schools that were playing after we did and and actually one of the schools said can we use that thing tonight you know for our our pep and and actually i want i I did want it out out of my hand so i took it home but um uh you know it's it's something that has certainly stood the test of time it, it's a it's a mainstay when it comes to uh, building spirits and displaying in that manner you like you steve schmeller am i saying that correctly schmeller long e steve schmeller perfect class of 1971 born in washington iowa 
was the first person in human history to make a giant hand. And it's, I was surprised because I looked this up because I was sitting in my basement where I have a giant Phillies foam finger. And I was thinking about the podcast and I was thinking about uh, like the idea of the foam finger. And I was like, where did this idea come from? And can I tell you something that's honest and, 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 and something that makes me a little happy is that it didn't come from the idea of like commercialism. It didn't come from the idea of, oh, the Detroit Tigers invented the foam finger because they wanted to sell something to their fans to wear during the games. It, it happened because Steve loves his community and wanted, didn't know how, I guess you knew how to express it, but you expressed it in a way that no one ever had, in a way that has not been thought of ever throughout all of human history. And you alone did it, and it could have gone, it could have gone completely unnoticed. But, but it got noticed, and it became something, and it became as, and I don't know if you see it the way I see it, but it became a, a pop culture icon. Like, a, like an icon. Yes. It sold everywhere. Are you aware of, like, everywhere? Uh, the Tottenham Hotspurs in London? I was in London. I went to a Tottenham Hotspurs game. Foam finger. Had I, you know, it, had I had the foresight to uh, have registered that or patented that, um, you know, I could, it would have changed my life a lot. Does it, does that, is that something that bothers you? And I don't mean to well, bring up anything it, that bothers it you. It, it, it is what it is. You know, that, that's the best way I can look at it. It, it could have been something, um, it's still something to me, but, uh, you know, there's a, a guy, the, the fellow that um, eventually fashioned a, an actual foam finger, uh, Spirit Industries, I believe in Houston, um, or the Houston area. You know, he he did he he took took the idea and um, and put it in in the mainstay of, of uh, you know a, a low cost uh, advertising tool and you know worked out. So I'm I'm happy for him, but it had been it had been fun to at least uh, reap in some of those rewards. Well, tell me about your life and what you're doing now, and we'll get back to the finger. Sure. Well. Um, after high school, I attended Iowa State University for a few years and then uh, uh, actually had an opportunity to get involved in, in uh, sales in the construction trade. I met a fellow in the community here that uh, mentored me and, and taught me a lot about the, the construction trade. And, and uh, there was, he was getting ready to expand his business here in town and, uh, and got offered a job there and that was in uh, 1973 actually I, I knew him before that but in 73 I had a full-time job offer and I ended up uh, taking that and um, I've been with that company since that time so um, I, my goal is to be 50 years at one place um, I'm not far from that at this moment um, so in uh, 2021, I guess it would be, uh, that would be a, a 50, excuse me, 2023 would be a, a 50 year anniversary. So 
Well, that's a, that's a, that's amazing and commendable in its own right. You yeah. seem like a man that values consistency and loyalty, and those are things in its own right. Did you ever? Did you go on to continue to create after you created things like the big sign, well, in, the, in the, the the foam in, finger? In the business, in the business trade, uh, uh, I designed concrete formwork. In fact, um, I did go on. Uh, to, I have a patent. Uh, in, in 2008, I was confronted with a, a problem situation a contractor had on a job site for building uh, auditorium seating. In, and uh, I came up with a, a method of making that making a system that would work for him. And it turned out to be successful enough that um, I did the op- took the opportunity to um, apply for a patent, a provisional patent first, and then a utility patent after that. And, and, um, you learned your lesson. I, I, I got the patent in 2013. So in fact, um, I was working with a contractor that had, uh, some, some riser seating to do at, uh, Love Park. Is that your Love Park, Philadelphia? Kennedy, was that Kennedy something along? Yeah, I had a job interview there, like across from that today. So, um, the contractor eventually must have, there was something about the job that uh, must have dissuaded him from doing, you know, taking my design, but I actually had designed some form work and and quoted the job uh, to him for, for my system, but it's called Riser Solutions. Where where is this implemented? Is it implemented anywhere in stadiums that uh, might be notable? Well, in an actual basketball arena um, or Loyola University in Chicago, my system was used when they built their re- reconfigured their um, uh, Gentile Center, and uh, I've also had a absolutely stunning. Uh, uh, set of risers and amphitheater done outside of Target Field in Minneapolis, and then I've got numerous school auditoriums or performing arts auditoriums. It, it's uh, been from Idaho to Illinois, Missouri. That's amazing. Uh, of course, Iowa. Yeah, it's 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 gotten. It's not it's not set the world on fire, but it it sure accomplishes things that other systems can't. No, that's 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 something that it, it, for someone that I'm interviewing and that I've gotten to talk to for a little bit and interact with for a few years, through a few days or weeks, I, I'm glad to hear that things are going well and that I like you. I'm glad you're reaping the benefits of the hard work you do. Yep, I am. Um, let me talk to you about time. So, you have been alive x amount of years. Talk to me about your favorite time period of your life what were the best years for you well <laughs> you know i it, it's a hard question it, it, that, yeah it is very hard to to because a best because it's different times are spatial for different reasons okay Obviously, here's a uh, now my my wife and i uh, we started dating as juniors in high school and that would have been in 1969, and um, certainly have enjoyed our relationship over that period of time. Um, there's no doubt that things that, that took place in high school were spatial. Um, just it was, it was 
time that uh, was new and fresh and and just learning. I mean, you're exploring the world and learning different things. So enjoyed that. Uh, of course, having three, I have three kids, uh, three children, uh, two daughters and a son, and and each provide unique opportunities uh, to grow and learn. And uh, Steve, you're me, very I've, positive. I've, I've never had, fortunately, I, I'm thankful that I can tell you that I've never had any unpleasant times. Uh, it's it's always life has been been good. That's that is so sweet and so awesome to hear and refreshing. So I'm guessing that you are optimistic about the world. Oh yes, I think I, I it sure bothers me to hear, for example, the you know that people shoot <laughs> shoot and kill people like the the, the that's troubling. I don't. I've not been. Uh, I haven't taken time to assess how to. You know what kind of solution there could be for that. But um, uh, that's disheartening to hear uh, the the fires in the West and you know different things. That, there's struggle everywhere it seems. But um, by and large, I think people are good for the most part, and I think that they will rise above uh, the bad things. So. I'm optimistic, yes. So you, what do you think the world will be like in the year 2100? <laughs> to, a, to a degree, I think that uh, the more we get into a, a tech, technological uh, society, people will be doing less and less manual activity, manual work. Uh, it, it's probably going to go more tech than it is skilled labor, for example, and, and that could have, uh, I don't know how serious to take, you know, to make it, but... No, talk uh, about anything uh, that worries you. Talk about cars, music, whatever is on your mind yeah. in relation to the future, because this is a very broad question, but yeah. I'm, I like to see where people's heads go with it, because mm-hmm. some people, you ask it and they go, I don't know, I don't think people are ever going to get along, and some people go, I don't know about robots, and some people go... I don't know about jobs. It seems like jobs was where you were focused, and your worry was about what people will be, how people will work in the future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was, yep. That that was probably the first thing that came to mind. Um, automobiles. Uh, I think there are plenty of brilliant engineers out there that will uh, develop autos that are more uh, automated and more. Well, I think fossil fuels. How about, um, let me ask you this, um, your experience growing up in uh, Washington and then Otumla, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced that again, um, your experience growing up in those two places in the time that you grew up in, say, the 60s, do you think that someone who goes through that same time period of growing up in the year 2100, what do you think growing up will be like? Communication will be almost spontaneous. Uh, you know, I I recall. I'm going to go back to that uh, uncle that I mentioned that lost his leg uh, in a, in a power takeoff shaft on a, on a tractor and the wagon. Uh, he crawled from the point where that happened into the house where he lived. Uh, he still lived at my grandpa's house at that time and and in that day and age communities uh farm communities still had party lines you don't even know what that is yeah i know what a party line is okay okay so there were he crawled in 
happened to grab the phone before he just collapsed and, and lost consciousness. And there were you know, four or five ladies communicating on a party line. They were they were all chatting with one another on the same line. And uh, he had, you know asked for help, and they just went through a, uh, a matter of deduction. You know who could this have been on on this party line? Who had who shared this party line with us? And they were able to get help to him, uh, directed to the farm, and and um, he was saved from nearly dying and bleeding to death. So um, wow. that uh, that was a kind of a unique instance then that um, things were a lot slower. I mean, it wasn't like there was somebody there with a 911 call and here's the here's the uh, coordinates to get to this place. You know, they, he just had the good fortune of picking up a line when there were some people on it and, and made the call or made the, the comment and they got help to him. Uh, in the future, I think everybody will have you know some sort of a, you know, whether it's a cell phone, but they'll have some communication device that kids and adults alike can be in instant communication and I, I think that part of technology is going to be tremendously different than we even know it today. When this is a weird question but it, it, your your anecdote brought it up in my head. When you asked out your wife in high school to that date in, at Pizza Hut how did you ask her out? Um, it, was, it was by phone. We, it was by phone? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I expected you to say you did it face to face, the old-fashioned way. The phone I used at my house, uh, my grandpa and grandma used to have a, a candlestick phone. It was, uh, uh, you know, it had a, a chrome base and then a black upright shaft, and and had the little hook where the uh, ear set, <laughs> the receiver would hang, and then it, a little above that was your your mouthpiece. Why well, they no longer use that? I saw it sitting in there garage one time and I asked if I could have it I took that home and wired it into our house and I you know, found the, the phone line out in the country and wired that in well here's <laughs> am I talking to you on that phone right now no no <laughs> <laughs> um, no it's 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 stored downstairs but um, my uh, those phones you used to tap them you know jiggle the, the handle up and down and and an operator or somebody would ask what who you needed to talk to, who you need to be connected, and, and it didn't have a, a rotary dial or a push button. Uh, it doesn't matter, but like they have today. But um, I discovered that by clicking the, the, the handset up and down, um, I could dial a phone number. So um, if the number was one, you tap it one time and give it a pause, and then the next number, my wife or my girlfriend at the time her family phone number was uh, uh six six eight two zero 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 four well zeros were 10 taps oh my god so i had you know, i go six and then eight and then two and then three sets of zeros or you know 10 taps and then a four tap and i i just for the challenge for the fun of it the uniqueness of it um i i had that wired up in in my room and and no, my my brothers didn't have any phone, but I had this one oddball, unique phone, and and that's how I could call my wife. That's amazing. That I, that's awesome. Um. All right. Last but not least, so you invented the foam finger, and at least the idea of the foam finger. You're the first person 
in human history to create a giant wearable hand or a giant hand with the finger up of the number one or just a giant wearable hand. Like, that does... Do you ever think to yourself, like, how was I the first person to do this? When you see it everywhere nowadays, do you ever think... How was I the first person? Because I don't have that. I, I'm not the first person to do much of anything. But uh, I, I You're couldn't... the first person to ask that question. <laughs> I had a feeling I was. I was fascinated, Steve. Can you not hear it in my tone? Yeah, oh, yeah I can sense your excitement. Yes, genuine, genuine excitement. <laughs> yeah, okay, so you have created something that you could purchase at Disneyland. It can be seen on the most popular cartoons. And it is something that I don't think people... I think it... it and I don't mean to, to, to belittle or, or confuse anything, but I think you created something that was perfect in its design and perfect in what it symbolized. It was perfectly understandable. No one is confused at a foam finger. Like, you created something. Was that your first attempt? Oh, yes. I just made it and, and painted it. and. So you created okay. something in your first attempt, a perfect design that transcended sports fandom culture. It appears on magazines. It is in every athletic stadium in the world. And it, it's, an, it's an international symbol of winning and success and cheering on a team. And it will outlive me. It will likely outlive you. It will likely yes. outlive the people listening to this as a symbol of success and and community and and like cheer. And you've told the story that it comes from genuine like community. It comes from an honest place. How you and what do you think about it in general? Tell me the future of it. Tell me what it's like to have created something that will live on forever. Um, to, to, at some point, I need to be able to document and tell the story, and perhaps your your podcast is one of these uh, uh, opportunities to to get that uh, message expressed. That uh, I, I'm. Still humbled. I, I I don't picture myself as a you know this a number one hot shot that can design and make anything. Uh, I, I'm very thankful for the creative skills that I have, and uh, uh, it's just the, the fact that at that moment in time I put that together. Um, to go back, I, I, I don't know if it had been made any differently than, than what I'd made it. Um, I'm glad it turned out like it did, and I'm, I'm thankful that it's uh, still intact. I, well, it's still it's, it's age-worn, but um, I still have it, and, and somehow I need to find a, a, a way of, uh, of memorializing that of some sort, You know, whether it goes to a museum somewhere. I, I at some point, my family's probably not going to want to have it sitting on a shelf or uh, in a case or something, uh, I, I have to decide where, where it needs to go to, to gain its point, their place in history. But, um, uh, well, Steve, if you could never find, 
If you could not find a place for that, I know that I can get that into a museum. The, don't If you ever have an issue with what to do with that, you send me an email and you go, Jason, I don't know what to do with this finger, and I will make sure it gets into a museum. Yeah. Well, they're the Smithsonian, you know, the huge Washington, D.C. I know the Smithsonian. Yeah, and um, the fact that I did have a little tie-in with them uh, here in our Buffalo County Historic Museum, uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but they had a, a traveling exhibit called Hometown Heroes or Hometown Teams, something of that sort. And, and they would take, uh, uh, for example, Dan Gable, who was you know, an outstanding wrestler here in, I- in the state of Iowa. And after he did his nearly unbeaten collegiate career, uh, he lost his final wrestling match uh, uh but he was undefeated for the entire life, except for that one. Uh, and then he went on to the Olympics, and, and he beat a Russian wrestler that he was never given a chance to do that. Well, he then came back to Iowa and has, has had uh, college uh, wrestling titles for the University of Iowa, um, you know, by the by the decade. So he he actually at this exhibit here in our community had uh, one of his wrestling uh, togs or wrestling outfit on that he wore in the Olympics and, and his story was told and, and there were other other unique things like that on display as part of the Smithsonian Traveling Museum um, so my finger was, was there and you know, maybe that gives me an opportunity to perhaps talk with them about having a space for it out in Steve, I, I'm telling you, you are way too humble for your own good. I could get this. I if I invented the foam finger, I'd be screaming it from the rooftops. And I, I, I know that there's the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia. They have a huge sports exhibit. It's one of the oh. best, one of the best um, museums in the country. I, I, I think that if I sent them one email, they would email you and ask for it. Mm-hmm. So I'm confident that it will find a home and that it will live on peacefully. But by when my actually it was after this Miley Cyrus thing, I mean it. it yeah, talk to me about like, the Miley Cyrus thing real quick. <laughs> well, it's uh, it, in two thousand and thirteen, Miley Cyrus. Yeah, it was in two thousand thirteen, right? Just actually, almost five years ago now, and uh, uh, I, I got a call from uh, Sam Gardner, uh, who is a Fox Sports writer, and uh, he had found some information that tied me to the foam finger and he wanted to do an interview and 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 put it in a uh, an online newsletter he had with fox and uh, when that came out a few days after the foam finger event i was not aware of her dancing provocatively with uh, the foam finger but with with seeing the, the uh, performance later i well, it certainly was brought full scale there but um, um <laughs> when after he made that, wrote that article, I literally got dozens of, of interview requests from radio stations and TV stations and newspapers and things, even some as far away as uh, Dubai, if you can imagine that. So I, I end up getting up at uh, five in the morning to have a, a radio interview with uh, a radio station in Dubai, United Emirates, where yeah, it is. the UAE. Yep. And um, so... Uh, it was it was fun, uh, you know. I I expressed it. I even had uh, 
uh, one uh, online, or not online, it was a TV spot for E! News Tonight, I think it was. <laughs> there was some, some guy, but uh, it, it brought a lot of, uh, that was my, my splice in the pan, you know, that was my little moment, I guess, in time that uh, I had a lot of attention. You are not a splash in a pan. You are a benchmark on history. You created the foam finger. I, I don't... Uh, you're bigger than this Miley Cyrus thing. I'm telling you. No one gives a shit about Miley Cyrus. You're Steve... Sh- oh, I can't pronounce it. Schmeeler. You're Steve. Perfect. Damn Schmeeler. <laughs> no one cares about Miley Cyrus today. And I'm telling you that now. Well... Yep. I want to wrap things up with you. I wanted to tell you, Steve, that it's been a genuinely delightful time speaking with you and that um, if you ever want to talk again, please feel free to reach out. I think you're an extremely impressive man from what you've done involving the foam finger to what you have done not involving the foam finger. Uh, What I want to tell you is that um, if you have anything that you would like to say about yourself that you would like to be broadcasted or to stay on the internet forever. Um, if by any chance I am one of the only people to interview you, what is something you would like your legacy to, to, to say, to, to know? That uh, life is one big opportunity and to not uh, fret it away thinking that, uh, that one doesn't have uh, talents or gifts that can't be used in some way. So I, I encourage people to... Uh, uh, invest themselves in the people around them, the community around them, and, and uh, just make make things better. That's our opportunity. Make make things better. Make things better. Make things better. That's our opportunity. You know that I woke up this morning early before my family. From this dream, she was trying to show me how life move from the darkness yes she said to get better and so i put a bullet where i should have put a helmet and i crashed my car because i want to get carried away So, Jason, why Steve? Why a foam finger? And, and my honest response to that is, well, why me? Why why this? Why listen to a podcast? Why make a podcast? Why do anything? Why create the foam finger? I couldn't find out the story of who invented the foam finger, so I made sure that people in the future will be able to know something like that. And now there's this delightful podcast episode of me and Steve out there for the rest of time. This episode is textbook me. I romanticize the strangest things. But this this story is a story that I felt needed to be told. And I'm really happy to be a, a blip in Steve's life. 
I don't think foam fingers will be bought and sold commonly in 2100 because my vision of the future is not as commercial or wasteful as the present. But I see a future where resources are needed to be used efficiently. However, I think the iconography that Stephen helps to create will live forever. This story showed the vast difference between growing up in rural Iowa in the 1960s to my life growing up in the Philadelphia suburbs and major cities in the 21st century. Steve described himself as someone who has never had any hardship, which is something truly amazing to hear in a world that seems like everything is going wrong all the time. Steve created something eternal, something that will last forever on life in the minds and hearts of people. He's someone who's had little to no exposure or benefit from his creation. He is truly one of a kind, and I was happy to share his story. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Jason Peters. Happy 2100. Music provided by Bleachers, Ben Volano, and Mac Miller. Special thanks to Steve Schmeler. It's so small till it ain't. Yeah. I'm building up a wall till it break. She hated when I call and it's late. I don't wanna keep you waiting. I hope I never keep you waiting. Yeah. I think I know it all, but I don't. Why you always at the mall when you're broke? And I just wanna ball, maybe dunk, but I never been tall. I might trip, I never fall, God knows I came close. I know I probably need to do better. Oh, I probably need to do better. Oh, I probably need to do better. Make things better. Oh, yeah.